In the United States, the death penalty has a complicated history. But wherever and whenever it's been legal, someone has to be the one to tie the noose, flip the switch, or administer the injection. So what kind of person would take that job? What's it like to have that job? And how does that job affect someone's life? Well, these questions don't need to stay in the abstract. We've had plenty of executioners in America to look at, including a man named Dow Hover. So to start, no one really knows much about Dow Hover. A few articles have been written about the man, and there's just one recorded interview during which he doesn't even discuss his job. See, Dow kept his job a secret throughout his life, and his children, until recently, did the same with their father's profession. We do know that Dow Hover was born in the year 1900 and lived his entire life in the small town of Germantown, New York. In this little town, Dow was a well-liked man. Although formally trained as an electrician, Dow worked as a deputy sheriff in Germantown. He and his wife were church regulars. They had two children. Hover's name even appeared in the local paper when he helped rescue two people from the Hudson River. Dow raised mice in his basement and founded Dow B. Hover Laboratory Animals. The company supplied lab mice to buyers, and today it's called Taconic Farms, which is one of the world's largest providers of lab mice and rats. This is all to say Dow was pretty much a regular guy. But in 1953, the New York State Executioner quit and the post was vacant. As a deputy sheriff, Dow used his connections in the New York justice system to get himself the job of New York State Electrician, as the title was. His experience in the justice system and training as an electrician made him a candidate for the work. By the time Hover began his work as an executioner, both of his children were fully grown and out of the house. They didn't get a chance to weigh in on their father taking a job. By the time they learned about it, Dow had already begun the work. Dow's wife, however, was not so happy with his decision. To her, it boiled down to a simple moral issue. You aren't supposed to kill people, and that's that. She consulted with the local minister who presumably assuaged her worries because at age 52, Dow Hover began his career as an executioner. Dow worked at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. Sing Sing was a maximum security prison about 30 miles north of New York City. Former prison wardens have described the facility as a quote, hellhole. Because the jail held the execution chamber for all of New York State, it was sometimes referred to as Sing Sing Death House. Indeed, the jail was basically world famous for its executions. At Sing Sing, 614 people were killed in just 50 years. As New York State electrician, Dow Hover would wait for letters in the mail summoning him for executions at Sing Sing. He would get paid $150 plus gas money to drive about 80 miles to Sing Sing and execute prisoners. It was basically freelance work. He would get paid with each time he operated the electric chair, but otherwise spent no time at the facility. Hover kept all of this a secret. On his late night drives to Sing Sing, Hover would change the license plates on his car to avoid being identified. The only people who knew about his work were his wife, children, and pastor. During his job, Hover killed 44 people, including a couple of teenagers. Hover never talked about the work. Indeed, there exists one interview with Dow Hover, which was recorded in 1985. Any discussion of his role as an executioner is eerily absent. The interviewer never asks about it, and Dow never brings it up. But in the 2000s, his children granted an interview to the Village Voice to discuss their deceased father's career. In that interview, Hover's daughter describes him as cold and unemotional. She says he never held her hand, offered physical touch, or even said, I love you. 
In her words, executing people, quote, would not have been an issue for her father. In fact, she believed that he enjoyed the work. Her brother disagreed with this assessment, saying that it did cause him a significant amount of internal struggle. Whatever the case may be, Hover's later life was plagued by stress and grief. After New York stopped giving the death penalty, Hover spent his days taking prescription pills to fight off a never-ending series of intense migraines. His children believe these to be stress-related from his former job. Dow Hover died in 1990 at the age of 89. According to his death certificate, his death was due to undetermined circumstances. But the reality seems a lot more conclusive. Hover's grandson found him in his car with the windows open in his garage. The garage was full of exhaust fumes. Hover's arms were crossed over his chest. His body was cold to the touch. Dow Hover almost certainly committed suicide. The idea of life catching up to an executioner is nothing new. John Holbert was New York State executioner from 1913 to 1926. Throughout the final years of his tenure, Holbert's health had begun declining rapidly. Holbert himself said, I just got tired of killing people. One night, as he was about to activate the chair and carry out an execution, Holbert collapsed. He was revived by the prison doctor and stayed in the prison hospital for a week. Shortly after being released from the hospital, Holbert shot himself with a revolver. Holbert's successor, Robert G. Elliott, oversaw 387 executions across six states. Elliott's identity eventually was leaked to the public just a year after he started his job. Angry letters flooded his mailbox until one day, someone firebombed his home. In his memoirs, Elliot later wrote that, I hope the day is not far distant when legal slaying, whether by electrocution, hanging, lethal gas, or any other method, is outlawed throughout the United States. Jerry Givens was Virginia's state executioner from 1982 to 1999 and executed 62 inmates. Up until his death, Givens was at the forefront of a movement to end the death penalty. He's gone on record as saying the biggest mistake of his life was taking the job as state executioner. With all that said, expressing some great sympathy seems kind of misplaced. This is especially true when you consider that thousands of people worldwide have been wrongfully executed for crimes. In the United States, that number is 197. Joe Arity was accused of the rape and murder of a 15-year-old in 1936. Police manipulated Joe into giving a false confession. Joe, then 21, was severely autistic and had the mental capacity of a six-year-old. Arity spent his time on death row playing with a toy train given to him by a prison warden. That warden called Arity the happiest prisoner on death row. Arity was generally kind and well-liked by prisoners and guards. The day of Arity's execution, he likely did not know he was about to die. The prison warden recalled Arity spending the day happily playing with his toy train. Indeed, when questioned about the execution, Arity expressed bewilderment and confusion. He did not understand what a gas chamber was or what it would do to him. For his last meal, Arity asked for ice cream. Before being taken to the gas chamber, Arity had not finished his ice cream and requested that it be put in the fridge so he could finish it later. There's also George Stinney, a 14-year-old African-American boy who was wrongfully electrocuted in South Carolina in 1944 for a pair of murders. The conviction was thrown out over 70 years later. It was called a great injustice. These stories are not unique, nor are they a thing of the past. There have been wrongful executions in the United States well into the 2000s. 
There are certainly people who have committed crimes for which the only reasonable punishment is death. And some of those people have been executed successfully, insofar as killing a person can be called a success. I understand that DNA technology means that wrongful executions are perhaps marginally less likely today than they once were, but the risk of wrongful execution remains above absolute zero. Indeed, our justice system is hardly the paragon of fairness. In a system that ushers people with so much discrimination from poverty to prison to prison slavery, don't think we can safely add lethal injection into that already broken machine.